Welcome to Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth, the podcast of Plymouth United Church of Christ. I am Pastor David, and on behalf of the members of this congregation, thank you very much for joining us. May God bless you through these words, and may you know God's love through them. Now, the podcast. Our Old Testament lesson today is from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up and out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival of the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it to and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Thank you, Barb. Our gospel lesson is from Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus has been talking and teaching in parables and offers here uh, another parable. So hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of Matthew's gospel. 
Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast or banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, so he sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Now, golden calves, golden calves, golden calves, everywhere, golden calves. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Well, could stop making them. Could stop building them. They're not of great They're not of much value. You can't cook them. You can't eat them. They don't make babies. They don't make milk. You can't put them in front of a plow, these golden calves. There's no reason on God's green earth to have them, but, oh, Lord, they fill our shopping malls and our cities, our churches, our homes, our lives. Cluttering our space, our mental space, our spiritual space, until we can scarcely move around them for fear of knocking one loose or being crushed by one, even as we admire them and adorn them with the hopes of our prayers and a tithe of our spirit, these golden calves. What, pray tell, are your golden calves? What are the ones that you have made in your life? Maybe some that you've let go of. Maybe some that you hide in the closet thinking they're hidden, but you know they're there. Or the ones that you think were gone but are still maybe lurking in the shadows. What are your golden calves? And what are the golden calves of the church? What are the golden calves of the church. And we do have them. We all, we all have our golden calves. You're not uh, evil or apostate or unredeemable if you have golden calves. I'm sure every one of us has at least one, if not more. Organizations have them. Countries have them. 
especially if we think of, of, of golden calves as a reversion uh, back to the comfortable ways or an escape from reality, whether those ways worked or not, or taking an easy path instead of a difficult path, even if the easy path isn't healthy or good for us, or in the face of you know, strangeness or anxiety, to say no, go after something else. Those golden calves are often a place of, of comfort, but a place of avoiding what's really going on. And the Hebrew people are having that experience as they make their golden calf. I, you know, they had been slaves in Egypt. Everyone who's out there with Moses and Aaron had been a slave. And their generations before them had been slaves. They have a 400-year history of being slaves. And, and Moses and God have led them out of slavery and into freedom. It's a wonderful and a good thing for them to be free. But that freedom is new, scary. And their freedom out of Egypt has brought them literally into a wilderness, into a desert, but also metaphorically. So they're free, but they are literally in a desert, in wilderness, lacking for food and lacking for water. Their routine has been disrupted. They're not sure what's going on. They're afraid, they're anxious, however bad their slavery might have been. At least as slaves in Egypt, they had homes. They had a bed to sleep in. They had food. They had a daily routine. They will lament a number of times in their process through the wilderness. At least in Egypt, we had leeks and onions and meat. A place to sleep. So they're free, but they're afraid. And, and, and so this need for comfort, their need to reduce their anxiety is overwhelming, overwhelming their trust in the God that just rescued them, overwhelming their trust in the promise that God had made to Abraham, their ancestor, hundreds of years before. Their fear, they, their anxiety is overwhelming. That faith, that trust, and it's understandable. Stress, anxiety, change, these can all make us forget who we are. And we can revert into bad habits or past habits. And so they're calming their anxiety by creating this visible, tangible God, a golden calf, something that they knew. They would have seen these in Egypt. They were around. They would have, uh, would have been part of their life experience to see visible gods, icons of gods. They were used to it. They probably had even prayed to some of the idols or icons in Egypt. It's hard to imagine that in 400 years of living in Egypt that they hadn't adopted and adapted some of the Egyptian religious practices or at least seen it. So they go to the familiar and we all, we all do it. Find our comfort in one way or another. Have a stressful day so you go home and eat a lot of pie or have macaroni and cheese for supper instead of steamed broccoli or whatever is healthy for you, or go shopping to replace emptiness with trinkets, or drink or smoke or whatever to hide the pain with the golden calf of a, a pretend reality, at least for a moment, to be someone else, to be pretend you're somewhere else, or, uh, or trauma happens and we cast out our reason and fill that space with the 
golden calf of terror, whether it be terror at Ebola or ISIS or child refugees coming up from Central America or whatever it is that might cause us into a, an irrational fear. You know, the wilderness is a strange place. It's a place of anxiety. That's why it's called the wilderness. It's not tamed. It's not domesticated. We don't have control over the wilderness. And it can be a scary place to be in because it is new and different and, and, uh, and anxiety-causing. And I think of where the church is. Not just Plymouth or the UCC or in America, but the world over. The church also is, is going through a lot of change. We are in a kind of wilderness. Not entirely sure what's going to happen. We're coming into uncharted land as the whole world itself is going through uncharted land. There have been so many changes in the last few decades, in the last 50 years, last 100 years. The whole world is going through change like, like we've all been pulled out of Egypt by something and told we're going to some kind of thing over there. And we're not sure how we're going to get there, not entirely sure where it is or what it looks like, but we've been pulled out. Something is leading us in that direction. I think of the technological changes, the internet, what that's done to kind of bring the world together, make the world a smaller place, airline travel, the way businesses are working globally, social changes, political changes, cultural changes. Uh, the times are a-changing, and they're changing fast and chaotically. It's a much faster pace of change than, than we've experienced before. And it causes anxiety and causes fear, and the church is not immune to that either. And I've talked about that in... Uh, in sermons before that there's just the, the church is changing as the culture changes and trying to figure out how are we to be the church in the 21st century and uh, but there is that temptation to go back to the golden calves or to build new golden calves and new idols the golden calf of doing what we've been doing and expecting uh, or the golden calf of expecting the world to conform to who we are to be like us instead of us going out into the world and see what the needs are and be the church for them or to go into the world and rebuild it into God's vision of all these parables of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Or the golden calf of living in the 1950s or the 40s or the 60s or the 1830s or the 1620s or uh, the early 1500s or whatever period of, of the church's life that we might think of as the golden age of the church. Or the golden calf of also forgetting that above all else, the golden calf of forgetting that we are the stewards of God's story, of remembering the story that we tell here on Sundays, of hope for the future and the vision of God's realm. We are the stewards of God's story, or at least in part we're stewards. We don't have the whole story. But even though maybe we don't know exactly where we're going, we know in part where we're going. 
It's this vision of God's realm. Where we're going is to the great banquet, the wedding feast, God's great party. The path is unclear. Not entirely sure how to tread the path, and we may need to change our clothes on the way there, may need to change them a few times, and may not even be sure exactly what clothing, uh, what the clothing is going to look like at the end. But we have that vision ahead of us. And I would hate to be the one that says no to that invitation. I don't want to be the person that says no. I don't want us to be the church that says no to that invitation whether Plymouth or the church worldwide. Don't want to be the one that says no. Want to be the one that says yes. Yes. Take me out to Egypt. May have to be in the wilderness for a while, but let's go. Let's go to the party. God's invited us to join in. So let's go. Uh, Let's say yes. And we have said yes here at Plymouth. We've set out on the journey and we're treading along, however unsurely, and uh, and trying to figure this out. But we're moving forward, I think. We've said yes. We've made some changes. We're trying new things. Think of our street ministry. We didn't have that two years ago. But that has been very successful. Not only providing relief for people who are living on the streets, but it's been really successful and important for those of us that have been down there and have learned from it, and it's causing ripples around town, and we've had articles in the newspaper, and people are talking about homelessness here in Eau Claire. I think partly because we went downtown and started doing this ministry and have invited others to come with us. You know, we've made the changes of, uh, of me being more active and vocal in public and in organizations. I've had to learn new ways of being a minister and of doing things, being out there meeting people and networking. I didn't network before. That word scared me. But it's actually kind of fun, being out there meeting people. But that's meant less time for me in the office and meant a change in my schedule and me learning new things, a kind of wilderness for me as well. But it's been a a good experience. I think that's also provided some fruit Some people have been invited in because of that. We've made changes to worship. We've been changes in being more invitational to people and groups using our space. We had the the Chippewa Valley LGBT started their bingo nights here. We hosted them for a while. They're at a restaurant now, which works better for them. But imagine if we hadn't said yes to their request to start here. It might never have gotten off the ground. And now it's, uh, it's a good fundraiser for them. You know, so we've done all this, making these changes with that goal ahead of us, that vision of God's great party ahead of us, moving toward it. We can ask, what does that vision look like? We might not know exactly what that's going to look like, but certainly the church of the future and the path that we're on is a way of living that is invitational. That's open, and that's fun. Let's have fun in church. There are lots of people out there that think church is not fun because they haven't been here (laughs) to experience fun and laughter uh, in worship and in fellowship. It's inclusive. It's oriented toward justice. It's diverse. It's a way of living that's willing to say yes and very hesitant about saying no. 
much more willing to say yes, willing to experiment, willing to stop doing what doesn't work and try something else. It's a way of living that isn't hidden under a bushel, but that says, here we are. Here's what we're doing. Come join us. Be part of this. It's a way of, of living, of being out where the people are and meeting their needs and being Jesus for them and letting them be Jesus for us. I think people who are not in the church have an awful lot to teach us about God. There's much that we can learn from them as well. And it's not always easy. Wilderness journeys never are easy, but it's doable. And we have God's promise. And God doesn't call people to do impossible things. God is the God of the possible. God doesn't ask us to do things that God knows we're going to fail at. God is the God of the possible, one step at a time. And one step is the mentioned before, the Halloween party we're having in two weeks. There's a nice, easy step. Have a Halloween party, invite people from the neighborhood, bring yourself, but also bring someone with you. It's much less scary to invite someone to a Halloween party, even though it's Halloween, much less scary to invite him to that than to invite him to worship. Come to the Halloween party, have fun, have some food, play some games, get to know us, a good safe place for others to get to know us. We've also had this other small step, a challenge that uh, has been offered to us with a coach that I'm working with that I thought was a good one, uh, and our evangelism group thought was a good, uh, a good step, was to have 40 people in worship by the end of the year. Let's try it by the end of December. Let's be consistent getting 40 people in worship would be a wonderful thing. There's so much more sound and, uh, and energy. That's a good number, and I think that's a doable number, especially if you invite someone. Bring someone with you. Be invitational. And if you know someone that you think would appreciate an invitation, who, who has needs that we could meet or that you think would be wonderful in this congregation, but you're kind of timid uh, about offering that invitation, I mean, I understand that. I was very timid about offering invitations. But if you know of someone, you can also give me their name, uh, their email, their phone number, Facebook, whatever, and I will invite them. I'll invite them. It's hard to believe I'm saying that. A year ago, that scared the, the, the heck out of me to think about inviting someone because I didn't want to be that guy, you know? That, that evangelist proselytizing guy, that's way out of my comfort zone. So a year ago, that really scared me. Now I'm only slightly terrified to offer those invitations. But they work. Give me the name and number of someone and we'll contact them and say, someone from my church, so-and-so from my church offered me your name. They thought you'd be a good fit. Why don't you come join us? Or let's have coffee, yeah, whatever, and invite them in. Think of this parable that, that Jesus told here. And there's a group of people in here that I don't, I've never, never heard a, a sermon about or they don't read about in the commentaries. The unsung heroes in here, I think, are the people who are told to go out and invite people who say yes and do. That go out and offer that invitation. I mean, yeah, they had the king telling them to do it, but they went out and did it. There is real strength in invitation, and it's a form of compliment to be invited to something. 
It's a way of saying to someone, I like you enough to invite you into something I'm involved with. It's a compliment. If we who are the church, we here are the holders and the hosts of God's great party. And we do have a wonderful party and a banquet that goes on here. And a feast that goes on in Plymouth in the way that we love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, the fellowship we have, the meals that we share, the ministries that we do together. We have a wonderful banquet here that I think many people would love to be a part of. Just have to be invited in. Extending that invitation and going bravely through that wilderness of fear and uncertainty and not falling to the temptations of the golden calves, but eagerly saying yes to God's invitation to join, and as we say yes, to God's invitation to bring a plus one with us. I think it can be done. In fact, I know it can be done. Amen. And that is the good news for this day and for all days. Thank you again for listening to the Sermons and Sounds of Plymouth podcast. If you are in the Eau Claire area, we especially invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. And I invite you also to check out our website at pcucc.com for upcoming events and special worship services. From Plymouth United Church of Christ, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, this is Pastor David. Thank you for spending this time with us. May God bless you.